If you would have your Bible open to 1 Chronicles 29, you'll notice in your bulletin also is a little handout that we're going to give out for the five weeks that we'd like for you to take home and just process the whole idea of uh, participating in the capital campaign, especially if you're um, in a family. Dads, this is a great way to sort of lead your family through the process together. So we'd like for you to keep up with those. Even if you're not a Boy Scout, you would be familiar with their motto. You know what that is? Be prepared. If you're ever a Boy Scout, it's driven into you. And uh, someone once asked the founder of the Boy Scouts, Robert Baden-Powell, what is it they should be prepared for? And he said, any old thing. And so I guess that's why you have all those little buttons, you know, or uh, patches that you just be prepared for anything that comes along. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have this sort of reoccurring nightmare about not being prepared. This This is the one that I have most often now. I'm sitting on a stage. I'm sitting in a chair. And I sort of just come into the dream and someone's at a podium and they're talking. And so I decided, well, I'll just tune in to what this person's saying. Big audience out in front of us. And then I realize he's introducing me as the main speaker. <laughs> and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I realize I have about 10 seconds before he's done. And I'm going to have to stand up here and say something that has value. And so when we talk about this idea of being prepared, that's what we're moving into in this capital campaign. That's what's happening in Exodus 35. That's what's happening in First Chronicles 29. There's going to be something that gets built and Moses and, and David are preparing the people for the event in Exodus or in Exodus 35, we notice that Moses is preparing the people. He's gathering resources to build the tabernacle. And you'll notice in 36.6 that the people are so aware of the grace and the favor of God that remember what happens? Moses has to send out sort of this clarion call to say, stop giving. It's kind of a reverse capital campaign. All the people are coming forward and saying day after day after day. And all the craftsmen are saying it's too much. We can't fashion all these things into the tabernacle. Please, Moses, just tell them to stop. So that's our anticipation here at Christ Community Church. Wonder where all these slaves, former slaves and now desert dwellers even got all this material. I mean, they've been slaves for 400 years, and then they get shot out into the desert. Well, we know if you've been in Greg's Exodus class or just a good Bible student, that what happened when they left Egypt? The Egyptians were so happy to get rid of them, they just dumped out all of their treasures on these people. And so as they come to build the temple, just sort of in a moment of uh, biblical irony, the Egyptians who've been building pyramids to themselves now in some way were making a contribution really to build the tabernacle to the living God. Well, when we move to 
First Chronicles 29. We're fast forwarding in history now some 500 years and David is making preparations not for the tabernacle, but a more permanent site, which is the temple. I think it's inspiring here to remember. Remember, David wasn't going to build the temple. It was going to be his son, Solomon. But David is just getting all the resources together so that when he dies, Solomon's sort of ready to build. And here is a man who's giving more than anybody else to the campaign who's never going to stand in the building. This man who's leading the way and giving the most is not going to stand in what's being built. And I think that's a great picture and a great vision. Part of what we want to see for ourselves is we're not just building something for us to go occupy. We're building something for another generation to come and hear the word of God. And David has that in mind. And so I want to look at David's participation and how he prepares what we're calling principles of preparation and makes an application to ourselves. First, there's recognition. Second, resources. And third, an upright heart, which you'll see all on your outline. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 29, verse 1. And David, the king, said to the assembly, Solomon, my son, who whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. When I read that line, I just put my name right there. Paul Phillips, young and inexperienced. Well, at least inexperienced. I don't know how young I might be, but I'm at least inexperienced in this. And so David's coming in and saying, I know he's going to need help, and I'm going to provide that help by gathering the resources. And then he says this, the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord. David recognizes the work is great. In other words, it's beyond the normal boundaries. If he was just trying to build a home or a place for himself or even a city, that would be within the normal boundaries. Any man can decide, well, this is what I would like to build. But if you're building a home for the Lord, that's great. It's beyond what would be normal. And David realizes that he realizes that he's not just building a a place for him to come or for his people to come. It's really for the name of God Almighty. And so that for hundreds or thousands of years into the future, he would hope people would come and in this place they would encounter the living God. And so he said the work is great. The elders realize when we're taking on this building campaign that we're not building the same kind of temple. The tabernacle God uniquely dwelt in. In the, in the temple, God uniquely dwelt in that place. In the New Testament, what is the New Testament replacement for the temple? Christ. He's it. And when you come to him, you come to the temple. And we get to be a chance to be a part of that temple. And he says we're, we're living stones. Christ is the, the chief cornerstone. And together as a body of believers, we make up this new building. So we don't need walls. We can meet underneath a tree. We can meet in a parking lot. We're, we're not building a place for ourselves. And we're not just building a, name, a place for God. We're building a platform 
in which people can come and see and experience God. The, the work is great. Our capital campaign itself, trying to raise a minimum of $1.8 million, is a great sum for this crowd. When we work with our uh, capital campaign consultants, they would say, you know, only the top 10 or 15 percent would reach a number like that for your size. And we'd say, well, we've done all we can to pray about it. This is what we feel like God's leading us to. And if he's not, then we'll just move in a different direction at the end of the capital campaign. But we've decided to say we understand the work is great. It's beyond our normal boundaries. And we want to give God a chance to work in that place. We also recognize that we're not building a place for ourselves. We're not building a church home. We're building a platform for people to come and experience and see the life transforming power of Christ. Now, you might say it and I might slip up and say, it. well, my church home is and that's OK. But I just want us to understand what it is we're trying to do. We're not trying to build anything for ourselves. We're trying to build something for the Lord. And we're trying to lift up the name of the Lord. And we'll talk more about that next week. I think this is a, an important point to stress. Because for us as human, it's so easy to get our names attached to something tangible. I mean, don't you do that? You, you, you just sort of buy something new. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. You buy something new and you don't realize how you have such a claim on it until it gets a stain. Ugh, and then you're digging your nails in. Why? Because that was yours. You didn't want anything to happen to it. And when you get the first mark on your car, the first stain on your rug, it just drives you crazy because we attach ourselves to things so quickly, we want to build a name for ourselves. Remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? What was the whole purpose of the Tower? Everybody got together and said, we've got to build this city and then we've got to build a tower. Why? We've got to make a name for ourselves. And so they invested all of themselves in this building. I think this is important if you're the pastor. Because the pastor can get his identity from a building. How many people come? What does it look like? It's, it's an important reminder if you're the builder. It's, it's an important reminder if you've been on the design team or you've been on the capital campaign. It's easiest for all of those people, myself included, obviously, to begin to attach themselves in some unhealthy way. And we're just letting this text be a reminder that what we're building is something for the name of God to go forward in the city, not for our name to go forward in the city. I thought about this because um, you've seen this. It almost always comes around on um, at Christmas time. I usually hear of it on the radio, but you can for the low, low price of sixty dollars. You can buy a star with your name on it. If you heard these commercial commercials, the International Star Registry and the sixty dollar package just gives you a piece of paper. But for one hundred and forty bucks, you get a frame with it or something like that. 
But anyway, this is what happens. You send in your $60, and they name a star after you. And then guess what? Your name is in the International Star Registry. And this is what it says if you go to the website. So that future generations, and I quote, can locate your place in the cosmos. Aren't you just thrilled about that to think in a hundred years somebody would be looking through feverishly in the International Star Registry and they'd locate your place in the cosmos and they give the directions of how to see this distant star as if somehow you would be there. We have such an easy attachment. I guess I should say I'm sorry if, if you've got your name in the International Star Registry. Some of you are going, hey, that's you. But do you see how easy it is to attach ourselves to something? And what we're trying to say is, don't locate us in the cosmos. Locate the Lord of the cosmos. That's worthwhile. But trying to locate our name, that doesn't mean anything. And so we're building something for somebody else's name. That's the Lord's name. We need to keep that in perspective. We want somebody to stand behind a pulpit in 20 years or in 30 years or 120 years and proclaim the word of God. And we want people, thousands of people to come and hear the word of God and those people to be spread across the state and spread across the nation and spread around the world to do the exact same thing so that the Lord's name would be lifted up. Secondly, let's look at resources Verse nine or verse two through nine. You'll notice here and I won't read the whole text again, but there's really three levels that David unpacks here. First level in verse three, David, the leader, leads in giving. He has certain resources available to him as the king and he gives those resources. But then you'll notice in verse three, then I sort of went to my own bank account. This was my stuff. And this is what I gave. And he details that. And then you'll notice in verse six, the second stage of giving was the leaders, the leaders, the the tribal chiefs, the officials, the commanders. They saw that the leader was giving and then they were moved to give. And then finally, the people saw it and they all rejoiced at how great these leaders had given. And then they were Moved to give in verse nine. There there was a kind of momentum that got built up as the campaign went forward. So the first thing, the first stage I want to walk you through is my own stage as the leader of the church. And, And I'm doing this to help you understand how to process this as a person, as a family, to just give you something to think about. As you begin to think about how do I personally go through this as part of the campaign. So stage one, the leader. Last, uh, I think it was September, October, I did a four week stewardship campaign. We hadn't really talked about money very directly in the first four years of the church. And so I spent four weeks really zeroing in on the whole concept of how we spend our money and where we spend it. And in the process, I really felt like God was pressing in on me to say, Paul, I want you to reexamine where your resources are going personally. I understood as the year moved to a close in 2005 that in 2006 we would have a capital campaign. We thought it was going to be in the fall. 
And I felt like there was going to be a, a fair amount of risk in trying to build, especially this very first piece. And I felt God was saying, Paul, if you want people to give generously, you've got to give generously. And, and I wanted to make the biggest commitment that I've ever made to anything before in my life to this campaign. I also felt like he was saying, Paul, you just need to put all of your money in it up front. Just say you're all in. So the people would say you're really for it. And even though we're asking you to consider it over a three year period, I felt like he was saying, I want you to go ahead and put it all on the table for me. And there was really only one place I could get that money and still say within a budget. And that was to sell my home. And so at that point, I began to process that first with myself. Is this what you really want me to do? To take equity out of my home and then give a big portion of that to the capital campaign. I I wanted people and I felt like God was saying, Paul, people need to not just hear you say it. They need to see you be for it. And so after a good deal of prayer and thoughtful consideration, I knew that we would need to sell our house and buy something that was less expensive so we could maintain a budget and also give. So here I am wrestling with that by myself. And now I've got to go talk to my family. So we've been in this house for five years. It's much bigger than we could have imagined that we would have had. And Uh, In fact, Nancy and I yesterday were walking out on the land that we're going to build on. We were praying about the church. And she said, Pa, I remember sitting on the steps when we bought the house in 2001 thinking, I'll just never have a reason to ever move from this house. And see, in 2001, we weren't the pastor of a church. We had no idea that we would be trying to build anything. And I looked at her and I just thought, this is the reason. And so I went to her, I went to my kids and said, you know, it's time to sell our home. And they were great about it. I mean, you can imagine how that would be a difficult conversation. But really, they just believed in me as the leader and say, dad or husband, we're behind you. We're trusting that you're hearing God. We want to get on board. We want to be with you. We want to go through the process. And it really wasn't a big moment of turmoil like I had anticipated Uh, That it would be. So last year in 2006, we put our home on the market and really before we even sold our home, we gave our whole pledge to Christ Community Church in the summer of 2006 in advance of this, the fall, what we thought was going to be the fall campaign. It was funny, just in the middle of that process, uh, another motivating factor for us was We were moving into a different school district, and right after we had put our home on the market, the school system sent us a letter saying, you can go ahead and send Zachary to Hogger. And Nancy said, does that mean we still need to move? And I said, yeah, because that's not why we decided to move. I just felt like that was just a little bit of a test, like, are you sure this is what you should be doing? And yeah, that was what we should be doing. So we gave our money. Now, 
I say that for two reasons. One is the Phillips family is totally committed to what we're doing at Christ Community Church. And that is lifting up the name of God, not lifting up our own name. And we believe it's in desperate need in this city. And so we're all in. The second thing I want you to hear me say, because I can hear already, you get in the parking lot, the two doors close, what's the first thing that gets said? We're not selling our house. <laughs> and I can anticipate that conversation already. There's, you know, there's anxiety welling up, and I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying we should have, you know, 80 families transferring, you know, the deeds to their home in the next five weeks. I'm just telling you that this is the, the pattern that I'm asking you to give in. It's going to take some sacrifice. You, you're going to have to anticipate a difficult conversation if you're married as to, to what you should be about and how you could be about it in a godly way. That's something that you have to wrestle with yourself and move through. The second stage is the leaders, and you'll see that again in verse 6. The leaders got together and said, okay, we've seen the leader, now we need to get together and give, and then the third stage would be the families. So at Christ Community Church, uh, a week in advance of February the 18th, which was when everybody will come and pledge, the leaders, the staff, the, the elders, the deacons, and anybody who's been a, a main leader on the campaign itself or the building committee will come together and we will pledge 20, 25 families, maybe. And we'll announce that on February the 11th. We'll say, here's what the leader, not 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 individually, but here's what the leader and all these people have pledged as a group. And we hope that will just create some momentum for you to continue to think through how is it that God's calling me to be a part of that plan? Finally, uh, the people gave with an upright heart, verse 16 and 17. I want to just pick up on a few words here in this particular text. Number one, it says God tests or examines the heart. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house from your holy name now comes from your hand and all is your own. And I know, God, that you test or you examine the heart. God is like a great physician in your life. And, and, and if you go to a physician for a checkup, they put their hands on you. And they begin to push and poke around. And whether it tickles or it hurts, you, they begin to find out what kind of soft spot or tender spot you have on your body. And God puts his hands on you and almost all the time, not just in our culture, but through all cultures, one of the most tender spots is your wallet. See, Jesus spent 15 percent of all that he said had to do with money and possessions. That's more than he said on heaven and hell combined. So when he began to put his hands on his creation, he understood that one of the soft spots, one of the tender places for them was going to be their wallet. Martin Luther says this. There are three conversions, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind and the conversion of the purse. 
my, my prayer for you has been that God would put his hands on you. He began to push around and he'd find the spot that he'd want you to go in and you would respond favorably to whatever that is in your life. Secondly, the people gave with an upright heart or your translation may say they gave with integrity. This means to make level or straight. The, the people came before God, and the way I would say it sort of in a slang way is they were straight up with God. They were level. They, they didn't try to fake anything, and they didn't try to pretend to be something that they weren't. They just came in and said, God, straight up, this is it's all yours. We're just managing it, and we just want to be honest, and we want to deal with you with integrity. And that's, that's our hope at Christ Community Church as a leadership, that you would just come before God and be straight up. And then as you come and make a pledge, you're just giving your pledge with the best integrity that you know. Look, you look out for three years and you think certain things are going to happen. You may move. What happens if I move? What happens if my spouse dies? Well, I don't know the answer to all those things. But you can say today, from what I know, I'm being straight up and this is what I think I can give. We're not going to chase you down. We're not going to bring you to court if you don't give your pledge. We're not going to do anything like that. We're just assuming that you're being straight up with the Lord. And if things change, you may be able to give more than what you pledged. If things change, you may have to give less than what you pledged. We're just we're just believing you're being straight up between you and the Lord. You're being upright. And then finally, they gave willingly. They gave freely. It's not going to be any, you know, late night pastor visit to sort of squeeze you down on your pledge. It's not going to be, oh, I think there's another 5,000. Let's lock the doors before we get out of here. Or we pass the plate and then pass it again. We're not doing any of the pressure tactics. We're just saying you give freely. Go home. Be straight up with the Lord. And then give freely. If you give a hundred dollars or if you give a hundred thousand dollars, if you give it thinking I can get what I want out of this church or out of this building, don't give a dollar. We don't want it. It's not a free gift. Go home. Be straight up. Let God put his hands on you. And then you give freely. And how does it end? The people came forward. They gave freely. And and what does it say about God? What was his response? Pleasure. You and I. Whether we raise a hundred dollars or a hundred million dollars, we have a chance very unique chance to bring pleasure because we came we allowed the great physician to put his hands on us we moved in the direction he wanted us to move we gave with an upright heart we gave freely and it brought pleasure to almighty God
That's why we're here, to bring glory and pleasure to God. And why is it that God loves when people give freely? Because he gives freely. He gave all of his resources for you. Let's pray. Lord, you are a great, great giver. And we, we just want this word from Moses and David to penetrate into our hearts. And I pray for these people, they would go home, they would, they would allow you to put your hands on them. To not make a rash decision, to, to make a prayerful decision, to, to, to set aside time to pray and fast and think, process, so that we might bring you pleasure in what we're offering. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done here. And may we always lift up your name. And in that name we pray. Amen.